one. My name is Dr. Nate Shannock. And my name is Merrick Egber. This is the official podcast of the Els for Autism Foundation for Autism. We call our podcast this because it's a play on our foundation's name. And Merrick and I are both terrible golfers. But we love how golf has become such a transformative tool to helping people with autism. When I'm not a part of the podcast, I'm a research psychologist. And when I'm not part of the podcast, I'm an administrative assistant filling in the gaps of each department like glue. I'm also autistic. So this is our ninth episode, year in, year out. As always, what we hope to do is to present news and updates about our foundation, interviews or feature stories that play a big role with us and with the community as a whole. Speaking of which, we also have our Today in the World of Autism segment, where we posit the news and current events reflective of the world we live in today. So before I get to our foundation news and updates, I would like to remind our uh, listeners that if you check our show notes, you'll find a lot of excellent information that adds to our broadcasting for the day. Make sure to check them out on the website. Anyways, happy holidays to all. We'd like to send a big thank you out to everyone who followed us on social media or gave a donation on Giving Tuesday, which was this past December 1st. This year has been a difficult time for many, and your support means more now than ever. As we head into 2021, we remain dedicated to providing game-changing programs to help people with autism fulfill their potential to lead positive, productive, and rewarding lives. Thanks to your donations, children and adults will continue to receive the services they need. And if you'd like to give a gift this holiday season, we have a link just for you to donate. Okay, so one of the new things that uh, I've recently gotten myself involved with is writing a new article on Allie Evans, the Red on Q Theater Group, and how our theater program has uplifted and improved the lives of those with autism. They have been doing a wonderful job with uh, the different members of their troupe, and it has been a blast seeing them perform all these different roles that they've been assigned to, singing songs and doing whatever it is that their creative hearts desire. But make sure to also check our blog for an article about our accomplishments for 2020. We had a very successful family fun night on Friday, December 11th, by our very own rec coordinator, Kelly Coots, themed after the holidays, where individuals got to participate in winter and holiday themed activities. And the movie that was shown was one of the, probably one of my favorite holiday movies which is Elf, starring Will Ferrell. We also have hired a part-time behavior technician, Lisa Lormjust, earlier this month. Thanks for being a part of the team, Lisa. And if we mispronounced your last name at all, you can remind uh, us about it on a daily basis. And if we do manage to get an interview with you, uh, you can enunciate your last word and, and overpronounce it as much as possible to our chagrin. It <laughs> is within your right and justification in case we got your last name wrong. 
Also, our work experience program is reintroducing the hashtag WeAreFoodiesFoodServices for a local community with dates and times already set up. Our work experience program takes on clients and teaches them valuable job skills while they're in the field. In this session, our clients have been learning valuable field skills as part of a food service. Our Facebook page for the food services, we will also link to. So. All right. So this month's theme is about the current year and what to expect from the new one. Taking our foundation ship through all kinds of waters is Dr. Marlene Satello, our COO with her experiences mapping the years and adapting to our current COVID-19 crisis. I thought what better person to recap and allow us to anticipate than Dr. Satello herself. Thank you, Dr. Satello, for joining us for the podcast today. It's my pleasure and an honor to close out the year um, in sharing all of the successes that we've had amidst the chaos of such a crazy 2020. To start off, Nate will ask a few questions and I'll ask the rest. So bring it on, Nate. All right, let's get it going. First of all, thanks so much, Dr. Satello, for joining us. We're uh, both in agreement that this is uh, one we're particularly excited for. So yeah. first off, um, could you tell us a little bit more about your background and how you began working in this field? Sure. So I am a professional singer, I guess right now, not professional because I'm not getting paid to sing, uh, but um, I was a professional singer and wanted to be a rock star one day. And I went to the University of Miami Music School and became a music therapist. And while I was working at uh, Miami Children's Hospital to do my internship, in music therapy, I met a lot of people. And uh, one of the people that I met was a nurse who ended up having a child with autism. And when I left the hospital to become a special education teacher, uh, she gave me a call and she said, you know, Marlene, um, my son was diagnosed with autism and I'd, I'd really like for you to come to my house and play the guitar like you did for the kids at the hospital. And that's really where my journey started. It happened haphazardly, and um, I, I never looked back. I went on to teach special education in Broward County Public Schools, and I also taught third grade. And I then went and got my doctorate in education and became a behavior analyst. So I, I feel like I'm able to bring the world of three different fields together to really help people with autism by integrating education, music, and behavior analysis um, into all of the programs and services that we've developed here on the campus. Yeah, that's incredible and uh, fascinating entry into this field, I must say. So you spoke about your connections with music and also working with individuals with autism. So could you tell us a little bit more about why music therapy can be such a useful tool for, um, for working with this population? Well, music is very powerful with many people, whether they are neurotypical or they are from a different country, uh, they have varying needs because music really is a universal language. 
you could be in a room with people that are from all over the world that and nobody speaks the same language, but you play a song and everybody connects. Um, if you were to pay, play, let's say the, the song from Queen, We Will Rock You, most people in the world, many people in the world have heard it. And, and it's happened to me when I've been so fortunate to travel and you hear that song and everyone's like, yeah, we will, we will rock you. And all of a sudden you're united because of that music, that universal language. And so when we're working with people with autism that may have difficulty in communicating, music allows for a nonverbal means to communicating with others and connecting with others through rhythm, through the melody, through dancing and performing to music, or even just sharing the experience of enjoying, uh, enjoying a song together. But even more than that, Nate, is that what music does to the brain is it, it really ignites and stimulates a variety of places in the brain simultaneously. So you are be, being able to allow the brain to make connections that typically without the music are not being made or are not being enhanced. So when you add singing, so you have language to rhythm and you also then have the um, emotional aspect of the songs, you're really being able to um, fire different parts of the brain and to stimulate them. So to use music as a tool in therapy can be very powerful. Um, and I could go on forever talking about it because I've, I've found in my years of how powerful it is so much so that oftentimes when I am doing music therapy, the child or the individual doesn't even know that we're doing therapy. We're just having fun. We're enjoying music. And that's where true learning happens when you're not even trying, when you're just enjoying it and it becomes part of who you are and what you're doing. So it's very motivational. Yeah, I, I really love your point about music being a great connector in that way of just people from different backgrounds and with different uh, um, in this case, maybe maybe different linguistic abilities and just um, such a great way to to connect people at, at a deep level. And, and as you highlighted, you know, the way that music um, can stimulate the brain as well in such a fun and, um, and free way is exactly. amazing. Yes. And and even when, you know, I'm, I may be working with someone who is not able to communicate verbally. They might use picture symbols or use an augmentative communication device. They may have difficulty looking at me um, and, and really making that eye contact. But boy, when we start drumming together and I'm mirroring the rhythm that the other person is playing, that individual looks up and makes that connection because we've now connected without words. We've connected through the rhythm that we both experience together. And those moments are so powerful that they, they are ingrained in motivating me to continue to use music. And I'll, I'll give you a little tidbit. I'm so excited tomorrow, I'll be doing some music with our early intervention classroom kids. And I just can't nice. wait. It's gonna, it's gonna be the highlight of, of my week. Well, you'll have to send Merrick and I the Zoom link for that. That, that Oh, we're going to do it live. It'll be live in the garden. 
socially uh, distanced uh, with masks. We're going to be doing a holiday sing-along in the garden. Fantastic. Fantastic. So last question from me, at least, uh, Mark, uh, Dr. Sotelo, in your opinion, how has the field grown and progressed in recent years? The field of music therapy yeah. has grown has grown incredibly because of the fact that um, there's sufficient research now to actually call music therapy an evidence-based practice. So this year, the National Clearinghouse on Autism Evidence and Practice released their most recent report uh, listing all of the um, interventions and practices that have enough evidence to demonstrate that they're um, effective in working with people with autism. And prior to this year, music therapy was considered an emerging intervention. So there wasn't sufficient evidence to really call it an evidence-based intervention. So I was really thrilled to find out that finally, the research has caught up to what I always knew was to be true, which um, was that music is a very powerful and effective tool in, in, in um, working with people with autism of all ages to enhance social interactions, communication, to reduce stereotypies, um, and, and to really promote um, uh, well-being, uh, mental, well, mental health well-being, as well as just that connection with others. Yeah, definitely a wealth of benefits related to, to this type of treatment. Um, and, and yeah, thank you for, for taking us through that. And, and I'm also thrilled to hear that, you know, it's, uh, it's now considered an evidence-based treatment. I, I hope that uh, tennis will, will someday reach that status. Well, you know, Nate, the, um, the report also has fitness listed as evidence-based intervention. So um, all of our sports and exercise programs fall under that realm, especially because of the fact that here at Else for Autism, we have our Game on Autism sports programs that are really based on evidence-based interventions and strategies. And so uh, our goal in those programs is to not only seek out the exercise benefits, but also the social benefits of uh, being able to interact with others during sports and um, enhance communication, enhance also independent functioning types of activities where we need to have recreational activities as well as our work in order to be able to have a well-rounded life. Exactly, and I think it's great that both recreational activities and our team sports, as well as music therapy um, that we offer, that uh, those can serve as that, um, that, that activity to, to not only get a nice break from, from doing work all day, but also, um, but also hold so many benefits for mm -hmm. social functioning, communication, everything that you mentioned. Yes, yes. So I'll now hand it over to my co-host, Merrick. All right, and you can answer my questions in song if you prefer. <laughs> sure. <laughs> okay, so my first question is, when you look back on 2020, what have been the most important things you've learned about it? 
Well, Merrick, there are so many things that I've learned this year that, um, that really have left me changed forever, personally as well as professionally. Um, well, one of the things that I really, I realize is the importance of creative thinking and looking beyond the obvious um, to find solutions that are going to ensure consistency of, of the services that we deliver here at the foundation, but also for our own personal lives, being able to look beyond the obvious of how we're going to solve our family issues um, in, in times of crisis. And so I, I realize now how important it is to always look beyond what's right in front of you. Also, um, I, I learned that, I mean, I always knew the importance of teamwork, but even more so during crisis times, it's really a moment where you realize it's a make or break moment. Do you really have a team that is going to work together and get past the, the situation you're in? Or are you going to fall apart and everyone go their own way? And I'm, I was so proud of our team. It actually brought all of our departments closer together. We learned more about each other and what we were doing in our individual departments while we were apart than when we were here together. Um, so that's something also that we learned. And the importance of communication. I always say, and it's probably not, I'm not the only one who says it, but um, in my personal life, as well as here at work, I always say that communication is the key to relationships and communication comes in all, all different forms, but it can either make or break a situation. And so I found that communicating to our staff and to our families and our vendors and visitors on a regular basis, keeping them up to date as to what we were doing and how we were doing it was the key to a successful transition back onto the campus. Um, and, and it's so important to share information um, with each other. And that's the other thing I, I really learned this year is that we can't live in a silo and, and in a sense hoard information and funding for ourselves. This year made me realize more than ever that we have to reach out our arms and we have to connect with all the organizations that work with people with autism and other developmental disabilities and continue to work together to find the best practices that are going to help the most people. And so I was very fortunate to be able to connect with so many new people and solidify, new, um, solidify relationships we already had um, with organizations to share not only programmatic um, ideas, but also ideas on how to safely return to in-person practice. Um, and I'll tell you, the other thing that I learned this year, Merrick, is the incredible loyalty and dedication that our donors and grant funders have for us. Because even in the midst of the pandemic, we continue to receive donations from individual donors, companies that's believed in us, and our grant funders truly believed in what we were doing and allowed us the flexibility of changing how we were gonna use our funds according to the needs of the families and of the organization. So that was something really great to see because it was a testament to what the foundation has established 
as their credibility in the, in the community, as well as the impact that we've been able to achieve with our programs and services. Great answers. Okay. So my second question to you is, even though we've had to go through a campus lockdown this year due to the COVID-19 pandemic, we've still been thriving. Can you tell our listening audience about it? I sure can. And, and Merrick, you've been part, um, part of all the programs that we've been doing to allow us to continue to thrive um, in, in the sense of the virtual programs that we've done. So you've um, spearheaded the Spe Spectrum Book Club and participated in our Connections Club. Uh, we also created other virtual programs that were completely new, such as uh, adult industry specific classes, we even shifted our summer camp to a virtual platform, um, which you and I both participated in. Um, we also uh, were able to complete three research studies this year, two of them have, having been submitted for publication on our virtual programs and also the telehealth application of our Ruby Parent Training Program. And, and uh, Nate, you, you really were at the forefront of getting those two research studies uh, completed and uh, submitted for publication. So those are some major accomplishments that we were able to do in the midst of, of all the challenges of going um, on lockdown and then coming back very carefully and very slowly back to campus. Um, and then if needed, we went back to virtual and then came back to live uh, again. And I, I wanna also mention that we also offered um, telehealth services. So we moved our speech therapy, behavior therapy, me mental health services all to telehealth and then returned them to um, live for those families that wanted to come back. And one of the great um, new things that we began to offer in the midst of, of um, the pandemic is to be able to do telehealth diagnostic evaluations. So we have our CADI program, which uh, was discussed in the, the previous podcast. And so now we're able to do diagnostics even for families that can't come here to the center. And uh, we also have our adult day program running four days a week uh, here on campus. And they've even started their own company called the Sea of Possibilities. You guys have to see the ornaments that they made in the program, they're gonna be selling them out in the community. And I'll tell you, my Christmas tree looks amazing uh, this year because I just went crazy buying a bunch, of, a bunch of the ornaments. So I could really go on forever to share with the audience about the incredible work that the foundation has accomplished this year. And, and I hope that our listeners will go on the website and, and look at all the programs and share it with those people who need it the most um, and also go on to our Facebook page and Instagram page and, and really see all the resources that we have available, including uh, we have webinars that are for free in uh, four different languages. We have it in English, we have webinars in Italian, Portuguese, and in Spanish. So we're really trying to meet the needs of our global community. And none of this would be possible without your leadership, Dr. Sotelo. Well, none of this would be possible without the incredible team that we have here at Ells for Autism and, and the support of our donors, because I'll tell you what, Merrick, it's unbelievable how well the golf challenge 
uh, program did, uh, the funds that were raised this year. Uh, we did so well. Our team did an incredible job uh, re, uh, revamping the golf challenge, uh, changing locations, gathering support from communities across the country to be able to raise money for the foundation. And by the way, um, another great accomplishment this year with uh, fundraising is that we, we got some great donations for our adult services building and we were approved by the board to go on to the next stage to get ourselves started with the construction of the building in 2021. So we're really excited about that. Woohoo! Yay! Woo! <laughs> I can sing a song of happiness. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. So the last question before we end the interview is what are the grand expectations from you for 2021? Number one, we need peace, stability, and health in our country and around the world. That's what I, that's my number one hope um, for 2021. Um, control over this virus so that we could come back 100% to full service delivery here, including our goals program, because right now we've had to um, adapt our goals program to doing it virtually. And we're hoping to get our families from different countries back here to the center for our intensive programming um, and, and be able to deliver those services. We're also excited about starting construction on the 18,000 square foot Adult Services Center. So that's going to be really exciting for 2021. And I know that you all did an interview with Dr. Michael Alessandri, my co-chair for our conference. We're having the employment conference on March 12th and 13th. Dr. Temple Grandin will be our keynote speaker and Ernie and Liesel will be opening up the conference and our, the chairman of our board, Marvin Schenken, will be closing out the conference. In addition, in 2021, we're hoping to be able to um, have our annual Pro-Am fundraiser. We're also going to be looking forward to our champagne chucks and clubs at the Polo Club. That's another cool fundraiser that we'll be having in February. And this year we had to, um, we had to cancel our Roots and Ruts walk. Um, and we're hoping to be able to do that one again in 2021. So we have lots of great things planned and we're really looking forward to having new families join us in 2021 and, and um, new donors and supporters to be able to be able to continue offering the great services that we have here on campus. Okay, so before we go, there's one burning, burning question on our mind, on, our mind, on my mind. I'm not well, sure if it has the same burning question too. Wait, you gotta have a drum roll. Ask it. What is your New Year's resolution? My New Year's resolution is to not let things weigh so heavy on me and to really just let things slide off because there's so many things going on in this world that are so big um, and so heavy that uh, I want to be able to put things in perspective and, and, you know, just watch these things happen and keep on going. Beautiful. Yep. 
That's uh, always it's a great, sorry. It's easier said than done, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's always a great uh, thought to have. Yes, yes, it's always a good goal to, to be seeking out and I'm hoping to be able to accomplish it um, this year more than ever. And thanks for highlighting all the good that's that we've been able to accomplish in 2020. It's it's really important to try to put as much of a positive spin on on things that have happened this year as possible. And absolutely, and so I really appreciate that. Yes, and I I want to congratulate both of you. Um, you know, we we had this idea. You had this idea of having this podcast. We ran into a couple of hiccups and then got it launched and you guys just ran with it and you've done such an incredible job and I'm so proud of the work that you've done with um, the Four Autism Podcast. So congratulations to you both. Thank you and thanks for your leadership as always. Thank you. Yay us. Yay us. <laughs> whoop, whoop. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to end in a chuckle. <laughs> as always it is time to go over today in the world of autism starting with my co-host dr nate chinock all right we've got four exciting stories for you guys today the first one is about the alternative baseball organization which is a recently created baseball league that provides a place to play for those with autism and special needs who are 15 years and older the league first began in the metro Atlanta area in 2016 and has since expanded to 74 programs nationwide. The founder of the league is Taylor Duncan, who as a child was not always welcome to play his favorite sport, which of course is baseball. Duncan is now 24 years old and he was diagnosed with autism 20 years ago and was a very strong baseball player growing up. He recalls that he learned many core lessons while playing baseball, including communicating with teammates, sportsmanship, as well as perseverance. One of the great elements of this league is that it offers team sport and recreational opportunities to adolescents and adults with autism. Traditionally, these types of opportunities have primarily been extended to younger individuals with autism or other disabilities. Duncan and his program were hailed as a community hero by the Atlanta Braves baseball team and various alternative baseball league stories have been aired on ESPN's Baseball Tonight as well as NBC's Today Show. Taylor Duncan has even given his own TED Talk regarding the league, which we've linked in our show notes. Providing quality recreational services to individuals with autism of all ages is also a part of our mission at the Els for Autism Foundation. Our excellent sports program offerings include golf, tennis, yoga, and kickball. Question for you, Merrick. What is so important about getting individuals with autism involved in sports? I may also have to add that Taylor Duncan was one of the nominees of our Autism Spectrum Award this year. So he is quite a distinguished gentleman, if I do say so myself. So many individuals with autism are known to not exactly to, to lead a more sedentary lifestyle uh, 
than many of their peers, uh, myself included. And I think overall, what sports can do with individuals with autism is it can increase uh, skills involved in not only teamwork, but also it can help uh, with exercise. I think I read somewhere about a healthy amount, and no pun intended, by the way, of individuals with autism have weight problems. And, you know, it, it builds teamwork. It shows that you can potentially, even if you are, even if you do have a condition of some sort, because you have programs out there like the Special Olympics, you can still achieve something. And you can still show that physically you're adept, you're worth it, and that, um, you know, you're the whole package. You're not only very, very smart, but you're also very, very uh, courageous and brave in a way in terms of taking on something that may that people may not expect you to take on, especially because one of the symptoms of having ASD has to do with motor skills and it has to do with delayed motor skills, which um, <clears throat> can have an impact on someone's own physical health and physical nature, but it's all about powering through that it is really, really nice that someone like Taylor Duncan stepped up to the plate, also no pun intended, to start up an organization for individuals who really want to showcase their love for baseball and their love for being a part of a team of people who are all generally very friendly and very much, you know, you can look at yourself in the eyes of the other people on your team. It is very important. Yeah, very well said. I think it's safe to say the alternative baseball organization is a flat out grand slam. <laughs> you, you know, I couldn't resist the chance to add in another pun, but very well said. And I think like you highlighted, team sports are unique because they give you the opportunity to train these motor skills and these cardiovascular systems in a setting that's fun. And that gives you the opportunity to communicate with your peers and compete with your peers. So um, a lot of positives to take away there. Yeah, and we shouldn't, of course, at all discount what we do at the foundation here, uh, especially with golf, because, you know, uh, it's generally considered that a deep statement on mental health is about getting yourself out there physically and to be out there on the greens Maybe you'll hear birds chirping from somewhere far away, but 
you know, it's you and the ball. It's not you and the person who you have to, you know, socialize with to a, to a degree in order to feel accepted. It's just you and the ball. And that's all, that's what most sports are about. It's just you and the ball. And even in a group setting, in an individual setting, it's just you and the ball. And the ball will not judge you. The ball does not care what you have. The ball only cares that you know that the ball is there and that you appreciate that the ball is there. Yeah. Very interesting. Um, so going on to the second story now, which is on a revolutionary screening app that's currently being introduced from an interdisciplinary team at Duke university, which is led by the one and only Dr. Geraldine Dawson, who is the director of the Duke center for autism and brain development. And Geraldine Dawson teamed up with uh, electrical and computer engineering professor Guillermo Sapiro to lead this team to produce the app. Within this application, there is a presentation of stimuli that elicit behaviors related to autism spectrum disorders in children. While the child enjoys the video in a comfortable home setting, the camera on the device is used to capture their reactions and behaviors to the stimuli. State-of-the-art computer vision and AI tools within the app allow the researchers to then analyze the important reactional behaviors to the stimuli in these videos. These behaviors include gaze, affect, head pose, and facial landmark dynamics. The eventual end game goal is to compile enough data that these researchers will be able to eventually establish biomarkers for the app that can reliably detect autism and then make this, this technology widely accessible to other people. So great project, if I might say so myself. Merrick, what's your reaction to hearing this? Well, since this is an audio-only podcast, you're going to be getting an audio-only reaction, unfortunately, Dr. Schnock. <laughs> But I think that it is definitely something worth looking at. And it is always, it's an integral keystone for this type of technology to work its way through into the early, into the world of early intervention dynamics. Because what, what it basically says is that we now have a better way of knowing from a very young age who has the symptoms, who has the characteristics of autism spectrum disorder and who does not at a very young age. And I, and I think that that is uh, very important. I mean, not everyone got would get diagnosed at, and not let me put it like this i'm 34 years old and 
I've talked to other people who are not that far away from me in terms of age. And um, when it comes to being diagnosed with a proper um, diagnosis, that can come a lot later than what it should be. I got kind of lucky. I was able to be diagnosed uh, pretty much when Asperger's syndrome was coined in 1994. Uh, my diagnosis went from pervasive developmental disorder or PDD-NOS to Asperger's syndrome in 1994. So I got kind of lucky, but for other people, they had to live with this notion that something was different for years and anything that can allow them to embrace this difference as early as possible without feeling these lost years of feeling left out of no of not knowing who they are what they really are anything like that i think that it is very very important yeah that's really well said and, you know, always, always interesting to hear, you know, your own experience living as, as an adult now with autism. So, yeah, it's an exciting project, especially the opportunity to, to reach children who, who may be in areas that are a little bit underserved, where there's less opportunities to see a clinician, especially. It's one of the, the huge advantages of telehealth. It's something that is starting to be used more and more at our own foundation. So hopefully we'll see this continue to be developed in the future. Um, and that's not to say that there's not, there's not some great resources now for diagnosis in the community. Um, it's getting better and better, but there still are those underserved communities that haven't, that, that haven't yet established a good foothold of, of clinicians who can make a diagnosis like this. Until these AI tools take over the world, we reach singularity, and then we all have to fight back against the AI tools that have been so useful for us. And it will be people like me who will lead the crusade to rid uh, mankind of the despicable AI tools that have reached sentience. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think only sci-fi nerds would probably get half of what I just said. Yeah, I'm, I'm recalling the movie I, Robot with the oh, words you're saying. And I think, yeah, Mer if, if robots ever, you know, attack, Merrick and I are, are probably nerdy enough to lead the, the resistance against them. <laughs> I was actually thinking more about the Terminator movie series. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a good one, too. <laughs> I'll save you all my Arnold Schwarzenegger impression. <laughs> yep, I think it's probably time to move on. Yep. All right, so uh, my first story is just a general summation of 2020 news on autism. And since we are wishing away the old year, it is important to remember some of the most important news regarding the autism community in 2020. Currently, the prevalence of getting a diagnosis of autism is in 1 in 54 kids, the increased number, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, 
may be partially due to increased accurate testing for the diagnosis in our youngest of children. Fortunately, the equality of getting diagnosed properly across races is getting better, but Hispanic kids are still lagging behind and there is still a gender gap where four boys get the proper diagnostics to each girl. We at the Ls for Autism Foundation welcome our littlest ones with programs like CADI, which stands for our Collaborative Autism Diagnosis and Intervention Program. Protection and safety is also very important. Unfortunately, rates of drowning and wandering slash elopement are very high compared to the general population. According to the National Autism Association, 48% of children are prone to wandering away from a safe environment. And according to Autism Swim, children with autism who die by drowning is at 46%. When children with autism grow up, when it comes to driving, according to the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, published in the journal simply titled Autism, one in three adolescents will get a driver's license. Once graduated from high school, according to a Spectrum News report titled Jobs Relationships, Elude Adults of Autism, 5% of adults of autism ever get married. 50% of adults of autism live with a family member, and the unemployment rate is in the 20th percentile. This may be compounded with the comorbidities of mental health conditions, most of which are in the double digits, as reported by the psychiatry advisor in mental health conditions common among individuals with autism. What has been especially impactful this year is the impact of COVID-19 on the autism population. Due to a world that looks unclear, scary, unpredictable, and stress-causing, articles have been written about the damage of COVID-19 on the autism community. It's not heavy-handed to express my gratitude to those families and their offspring with autism or to any singular individual of autism in such a tough time. What is also important to consider is that this year has given individuals with autism the ability to tackle situations like work virtually, which has led to some success stories. Ultranauts and Alticon, two firms I've reported on in the past whose workers, a majority of whom have autism, have been thriving. What we still hope to do at the foundation is to tackle these numbers through our two charter schools, the Learning Center TLC and the Learning Academy TLA. Having a secure campus, following safety protocols, and with the development of a swimming pool, teaching anyone with autism how to swim. With our emphasis on adult services, including our adult services building, we are teaching independent living skills and have a robust job program. We also have two uh, mental health support group programs, one for adults and one for teens, and one-on-one -on -one mental health counseling practitioners. Along with that will be our Spoken Wheel Society social group for adults and other programs and services that can help build relationships that expressly can help those who wish to feel better for even just one day. <clears throat> Many of our programs and services are virtual which shows that even COVID-19 cannot get in the way of helping those with autism. And those who want the presence of a live setting, some of our programs and services offer those too. We monitor and check everybody who comes in if anyone is at risk for COVID-19. So Nate, after this long barrage of information, 
what would you say is the most surprising piece of information from this? That's, you know, a great question. Definitely. Thank you for sharing all this. It's, it's kind of amazing to think about all that's, that's happened in this past year and to reflect on it. I don't know if surprising is the right word, but my big takeaway is just the resilience of not only the community, but also, you know, what we've done at the foundation this year, as far as being able to transition, you know, most, if not all of our services to a remote uh, and digital format to be able to, you know, put forward things like our, our caddy program, our, our Ruby parenting program, and also just so many different support groups led by you, Merrick, Kelly Couts, and, and countless others. I think it's just amazing to think about the areas in the community that have really stepped up and allowed life to to continue to go on and to allow people to continue to strive for their goals, make connections and, you know, have the opportunity to, to try to fulfill their dreams. So I think that that's really my big takeaway from this, you know, a ton of interesting statistics on, you know, the increased prevalence rate uh, with, with autism, one in 54 children now, and, and of course, some eye-opening disparities in the differences between ethnicities that are diagnosed. But uh, I, I tend to be a, a glass half full kind of guy. And, and I, I really am, am just baffled and appreciative of the resilience that's taken place. All right. Those are some uh, very good answers, Nate. So now our last story so this is what I've done. I've taken some of our staff members whose kids have autism and I've asked them advice as to how to handle the holidays. And then I asked some of our self-advocates how they uh, advice about how to handle the holidays for individuals with autism. So I'm gonna start with the parents first. The first person is our rec supervisor, Kelly Coots, who says, because transitioning and change can be difficult for children with autism, it will be important to talk to your child about having a new schedule during winter break and to discuss family activities, including ones that may include additional family members. Now our mental health counselor, Kimberly Watterson Rivicchio, I mean, Dr. Kimberly Watterson Rivicchio, Notes that in these times with the COVID-19 crisis to adjust expectations for the holidays and adapt our planning to the realities of the pandemic with the child with autism in mind and especially with adaptable notifications that we must focus more on what our kids see as important and to try to see things from their eyes. What you may consider important may not be what the child with autism sees as important. Our program and recreation assistant, Jeanette Halsey mentions, she has two boys, age 14 and 20. She believes that different experiences accompanied with a social story can be very helpful and that allowing them greater independence is vital. When going out to eat, going to a restaurant that follows social distancing guidelines is also huge. 
Throughout it all, nothing is more important than giving time to hug them and saying that you are very proud of them. Both of her boys love that. And lastly, our co-founder, Liesl Ells, likes to note, to try to spend family time together, find an activity that allows your child to, again, be themselves, noisy when they want without you feeling like anybody is being disturbed. And examples include drive-through Christmas lights for those not affected by them, drive-in movies, drive-through game parks. We have one in Palm Beach County called Lion Country Safari, outside spaces, the ocean, and other parks. Now for our self-advocates, Ron Sanderson of our advisory board actually wrote a whole article on this topic, which will be featured on our show notes. In it, one tip he mentions is have a place to escape. Always have an escape route. At my parents' house, I have a man cave with over 4,000 books and a Coleco Critter collection. When I feel stressed out, I hide in my cave. The escape route for you could be going for a walk outside or a room away from the guests. Andrew Blitman, also of, of our advisory board, adds, exercise helps. Think of walking around your neighborhood with a friend or family, or family member because walking and talking makes the exercise sport more enjoyable than doing it all by yourself. Or you can do it by yourself or with a pet to make the time sweeter. Kate Roberts, one of our social group Spoken Wheel Society members, offers this piece of advice. Celebrate the holidays by being safe, social distancing, and keep washing your hands, but don't let all the bad news distract you too much from what you're supposed to be celebrating. Lastly, I have my own advice. I would advise all individuals who are unfamiliar with the child or the adult, or the adult with autism what autism is and how it shapes social situations. Instead of negatively perceiving the child or adult, approach the family with the child or approach the adult who may be sitting alone, introduce yourself, and prepare your conversations with love and not hate. So anything to add to this, Nate? You know, that's quite a fantastic list, I have to say. There's a lot of good stuff in there. I think one thing maybe I could add is just challenge yourself this holiday season to either repair, try to repair a relationship that maybe you're not currently thrilled with or try to extend yourself and form a new relationship. You know, as wild as this year has been, you could look at it in the sense that anything is possible. So I would just say that whether it's extending yourself to a family member or, or a friend, you know, that has autism or another disability or just another individual in general who you feel could really use a friend. Um, that's something I'd like to add and challenge all of our listeners to do. Okay. That's definitely a great tip from you, Dr. Shanak. All right. <laughs> so thank you so much for listening to this very long podcast, but we gave you a lot of great information, I hope. Before we go, we want to thank the foundation for believing in us to be able to do a podcast for any willing listeners. And because of that, we will be seeing you again in January with some more coverage on us and the autistic community in general. So while we usually do our four after this, we and uh, 
we would like to wish you all happy holidays and a happy new year. Yes. Happy holidays, everybody. For... I wish that I could fly so high Oh, like a butterfly I fly into the air so high Oh, like a butterfly Moth is a butterfly without any colors But what's beautiful is what's inside Maybe a moth is just a butterfly trying to hide Well I'm just a caterpillar crawling around Knowledge in my head but my feet on the ground Soon I'll be like an angel in the sky Like a butterfly I wish that I could fly so high like a butterfly, I fly into the air so high. Oh, like a butterfly, like a bird. I was meant to soar. I will fly through the sunlight and even when it pours, you can't stop me when I get a hold of the wind. In the future, your eyes will light up to think that I was once a poor cat pup. Take to the sky like a flock of butterflies. I wish I could fly so high, oh, like a butterfly. I fly into the air so high, just like a butterfly. Oh, I'm a butterfly